This is the Action Network Podcast. It's good! It's good! Without further ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss. I'm just leave it up there. He couldn't make that if he tried that again. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast NBA Edition. I'm your host, Matt Moore, Senior NBA Writer for the Action Network. Joined today by Raheem Palmer. Brandon Anderson has this episode off. He'll be back with us on Friday as we preview Bucks, Nets, Armageddon. And probably what I, I'll tell you right now, Raheem, is just like a, I'll, I'll sneak preview it. I think that's the NBA Finals. I think Bucks, Nets is the NBA Finals. I'll just go ahead and, and drop that little note right there. I'm not mad at that. I'm, I'm not mad at that at all. All right, so on today's episode, um, I'm talking to Justin Fan later about the Lakers situation and about how to salvage uh, my extreme liability on the Lakers' title futures. But for now, Raheem and I are going to talk about some of the other series. So last night, Damian Lillard goes off for 55 points on 24 shots and somehow doesn't win as the Denver Nuggets get the win in double overtime in a game, honestly, where Denver outplayed them for the entire duration of that game. And it literally was just Dame was just firing up three pointers and keeping them in it because he's the second greatest shooter in the NBA behind Steph. Look, I'm going to be on the Blazers in game six. I can't see Denver finishing them off in Portland. I think Portland's going to do exactly what they did in game four, which is okay. We can't lose this one. They come out with intensity. They fire back the they're winning the use of Nurkic minutes. And for me, that's like a, big deal if you're winning the Nurkic minutes that means you're winning the Nurkic minutes versus Jokic and if the Nuggets are losing Nikola Jokic minutes they cannot win this series so I have the Blazers in a lot a lot of ways I had them to win the series I had them in several round robins to win the series uh I'm probably gonna have to hedge a little bit depending on, on how I feel going into game six but I can't see Denver finishing them off Denver has never won a series in less than seven games They've only lost a series in less than seven games once to the Lakers. Where are you at with this series and how does it impact both your betting game by game and then going forward in the playoffs? For me, I came into this series thinking that the Blazers had such a a huge discrepancy in the guard play that they would win this series. But as I watched it, to me, Jokic looked like the best player in this series. And I think the difference between these two teams is that the Nuggets can score inside and they get easier shots. Whereas just the Blazers, they're highly dependent on their three-point shooting. And if this is going to be a long series, as the series goes on, guys aren't going to be able to make shots. I mean, when you look at last, like last night was a perfect example. The Blazers were 21 of 48 from three. They shot 43%, but Dane was 12 of 17 and the rest of the team was nine of 31, just 29%. So if you're going to have Mello and CJ McCollum and Robert Covington and, you know, Norman Powell shooting all these threes, you're going to have a higher variance than the Nuggets who are able to get shots at the rim with Jokic. Um, And obviously, I mean, Austin Rivers has come up big in this series. Like if he's going to be able to make shoot four from eight from three, the Blazers are in trouble. So it's just I, I like the Nuggets in the series. I, um, I initially played the, Bla- the Blazers, but before yesterday, I, I played some Nuggets just to kind of get out of it. Um, and if the Nuggets win, I make a profit. But I, I don't trust the Blazers. I think this is this is kind of 
revenge for, you know, the, the previous playoff series. And I know that's all narrative stuff, but I think Mike Malone's the better coach. He's, he's proven it throughout the series that, you know, he could just find guys to make things happen. And I really don't trust this Blazers team to continue the, their hot shooting in a long series. So give me, the, I'm, I'm taking the Nuggets. So do you like them in game six? Like the Blazers are, are, are minus five right now. They're, they're five point favorites right now in game five, mm-hmm. uh, six uh, in Portland. Totals 227 and a half. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how you can take the Nuggets in this game. Uh, I, I think you go yeah. right with the assumption that, you know, the Blazers are gonna, probably going to win this game. But I just, I mean, I have a, I have a position on the Nuggets to win the series that I t- took yesterday. Right. And I, I feel really good about it. Um, so it's just, I, I do think that probably the smart play is to play the Blazers, but I, I'm just not high on them. I'm going to be honest. So, you, had, so you, you said you like Portland to go in the series. Did you take a position on Portland before the series? Yeah, I took, I took the Blazers before the series. So you, you basically has yourself into a profit regardless of outcome? No, I basically I bought out of it and already like oh. I changed sides. Yeah, like that's how that's how good I feel about the Nuggets um, and their chances. I, I just so let me um, let me put let me put the fear of God in you. All right, so if we agree that we think Portland's going to win this next game, and I do, the, and the market agrees, this opened at four, which was the line for games three and four, and it's already up to five. So the market is reacting pretty positively towards Portland already. We'll see what happens or maybe, you know, if a big bet comes in on Denver, this may move back to four and a half or four before tip off. So you want to make sure that you download the Action Network app so you can track and try and find the best number. Definitely don't get it. If you see a five, I would tell you to wait. I don't think it's going to go higher. If it does, I would maybe five and a half. I can't. If you want Portland, I think your window for the best number has has already missed. Uh, If you want Denver, then I think now is probably the time to get in. Uh, as we listen to this, it's five. Again, by the time you listen to this, it may have moved. You want to check that in the Action Network app. But if we agree that we think Portland's going to win game six. It's a game seven. And for all that we've talked about, you're right that the Blazers are more dependent on shooting variants. That's absolutely true. In a game seven, that's all that matters. It, I, like, I've just seen too many game sevens. Game yeah. sevens are not, are not about who the better team is. I'll tell you this right now. Like, my belief is that if you get to a game seven, those teams are even. That, like there is no determining factor between those two teams. We will always narratively be like, oh, they were the better team. They won that series. But if you get to seven, it really is just you both made adjustments. You both countered what the other one did. You couldn't get an edge on the other one to finish them off. And as a result, you're in a game seven where literally it just comes down to who makes shots. So the 2019 series between these two teams Everyone remembers CJ McCollum going absolutely bonkers and CJ was great in that series and he's due for a big game. And I kind of expect CJ to have a big game six, the difference maker in game seven for Portland. I am not kidding you. No shit. It was Evan Turner and Myers Leonard. Those two guys came in and hit big shots in game seven. Stotts had not played them. Like they had been out of the playoff rotation and he was so desperate to find something. He threw out Evan Turner and Myers Leonard as a hail Mary. And it worked out because that's how it goes in game seven. Myers Leonard, like if he throws out Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Jefferson goes off for six points on like two offensive rebounds, that might be the difference. If they get Simons, if Simons just like, and Simons is a, is a really good shooter. He's 40% plus. But if like Simons comes in and just like throws up five threes and goes four or five, like that's it game over versus for Denver. If we're in a shooting variance environment, like a game seven, I don't want Faku Kampaza involved in, in, in my bet. I don't want 
I honestly, as much as I think Aaron Gordon has played great in this series, and last night he was huge. He's hit two big threes in two of their of their big wins this series. I don't want to rely on Aaron Gordon hitting outside threes. Like that's fair. Mm-hmm. The shooting variance leans so much towards Portland in a game seven because of that the inherent nature of what game sevens are. How, how do you feel like home home court factors into it? I mean, do you think Portland feels like it can't win? Because this is my thing with with. Um, going to Portland one, one is I was like, the nuggets are fine. Yeah. Like I knew, I knew the nuggets were fine. Once they won the, the they got the split in Denver. I was like, they're fine. Yeah. Denver has no fear of going to Portland and getting a game, but Portland doesn't have any fear of going to like, they know that they can win in Denver. They did it in 2019. They won a game seven. The Denver crowd, I will say has been better than probably any year that I've ever covered the team. Like, for yeah. it being not full capacity and the crowd being as good as it's been, like bear in mind, this is a team mm-hmm. that in game two of the 2019 series, they booed the team going into half because they couldn't hit shots. Like game two <laughs> of the second round in the first mm-hmm. half, they booed them to the locker room because Denver was missing shots. And I was like, what are you doing? This is not how you support a team. Like this is not what they need to hear going into half. They didn't play badly. They just missed shots. So yeah. I-, I think the the crowd's been really good and the altitude is, is obviously like a thing that that's always the thing, but they've been bouncing back and forth. So, and they'll probably, what they'll do is Portland will leave immediately after game six, they'll fly to Denver the next day to acclimate and then they'll play game seven. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I know if I was like, if I, if I really, cause I'm probably not going to play tomorrow's game, but if I really like Portland, I would, I would take them for the series. Now I think they're like plus two Oh five. Yeah. Like, I think that's the way to play it as well. Um, and then like also, I, mean, I had, I, I had Portland, in, in, you know, before the series, like I said, in a lot of ways, I don't think I can double down because I do think, like, I think Denver's outplayed them. I just think Denver has been better than them. Like they got absolutely trounced in game four, but that was like, so I, I you know, I crushed the nuggets last year for their game three performance in versus Utah, where they just like no showed. Mm-hmm. Like I went on radio stations here in Denver. I, I like on my Nuggets podcast. I did that. Like I crushed that team. This did not feel like that. Like game four very much felt like a, okay, Joker's not having a good game. They're at home. We got the split. We're back to two, two. All right. That's fine. Like there is a certain level. I do think to where if you expect the series to go long, it's hard for you to really put the hammer down. Cause you're just like, man, it doesn't matter if we go hard in this game. They're going to like, they're going to get this one. They're not so we're not so much better than them that we can, we can win this one. I think that there is like a certain amount of like realism that does creep in with certain teams when they know that a series is going to go long. Mm, and that's interesting. It, it, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you when you say that the nuggets have outplayed them. Like I felt like game one was theirs. Yeah. And then, you know, somewhere along the third quarter, they just they kind of lost their way. So I, I'm just this this is a true pick'em series. So, but I, I just I think the Nuggets have been a better team. All right, talk to me about totals. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but in a 147-140 game last night, the over hit, the under hits in game four. We got the over in game three, the over in game two, and the over in game one. And the number's been basically the same. Like 226 in the opener, 224 in in game two, uh, 227 in game three. uh, That's the one that went over. So when they moved the lineup, but then it was under in in game four at 227. So they've adjusted the line up because of the efficiency. These games are not fast. They're just super efficient because Denver can't get stops versus Dane. And Portland can't stop literally anything. Like 
this 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 was the big miss by me in this series was I gave somehow somehow Raheem and like you should kill me for this somehow I gave the Portland defense too much credit how did I do that how did how after watching this team for three years and being like their defense is trash their bigs can't move their guards can't get over screens they can't get stops how did I overestimate even versus Faku Campazo Austin Rivers Monte Morris and Marcus Howard who got points last night how did I overestimate the Blazers defense? You're a big totals guy. Like, do you think that we've got a, a trend here towards the over? Do we feel like that's maybe the play? For me, like with these totals and the playoffs, when I find an angle, I bet it until like it's no longer there. Yeah. So with like the Lakers series, I kept betting under. Like I think it opened 212 and then now it's down to like 207. So, like, I come out firing as soon as the series starts. Like, even with this series, I think the, the game one was, like, 226 or something like that. I played the over. Like, I, I kept playing over on, on this series. And I understand why you over-adjusted because with the change from Gary Trent Jr. to Norman Powell, their defense has actually improved a bit. Now, some of that was down a stretch where, you know, certain teams were tanking and certain teams were out of it or just, you know, getting ready for the playoffs. But they look like the better de- a defensive team than they were for most of the year. So I understand it. But and then obviously with the pace, you know, a lot of these these totals are just predicated on how fat, like how many possessions you're playing. So I get it. But it was just it was pretty clear from game one that these teams weren't going to be able to stop each other. I mean, there were games in which the Nuggets were shooting 80 percent at the rim. And then, obviously, the Nuggets – I mean, the, the Blazers are shooting 40% of their shots from behind the arc, and they don't have anybody who can stop these guards. So you're going to get a lot of points. Let me uh, let me make a contrarian argument here to go over the under, okay? Because I, I might actually play the – I might play the under. So we got game four, the one game that went under, because Denver just couldn't score, right? And that was the desperation game that we said, like, Portland's got to win. Yeah. Now that was a bad Jokic game. I don't know if we can count on two bad Jokic games in this series. It was a bad Jokic game and a bad Dame game. That's what's crazy. Like, think about that. I just, as a side note, Raheem, the Nuggets lost a game in which Damian Lillard went one for 10 for 10 points. And they won a game where Damian Lillard went off for 55 points on 24 shots. Like, Like, that's crazy. But if we kind of take the same, the same, concepts of game four blazers have to win this game backs against the wall they're going to come out firing home crowd behind them norman powell probably has a bounce back game cj probably has a bounce back game but more likely like their defensive intensity nurkic probably doesn't foul out in this one if we take those factors into play don't we like the under especially at 227 in a slow paced game right like it does it, it it takes I mean, obviously, like last night, like you know, 187 points. I get it. But that was double overtime. And I, I'd have to go back and look at I think, I think that's key, too. The fact that they played a double overtime game. That's big. Like, I like to look at stuff like that when I'm playing an under. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's that's true, too. I think I think the I'd have to go back and check what the game three in Portland or game four after because everyone I wrote I and everyone else wrote the Nuggets off in game four in 2019 mm-hmm. when they lost that quadruple overtime game and then yeah. the Nuggets come back and like dominated game four to get that victory um yeah no it still wouldn't have went, it still would have gone over pretty easily um it still went over easily and over in regulation but 
Mm-hmm. I still kind of think the game six might be an underplay. And then if you get into game seven, I don't think you can take it over because we know how those game sevens are. They're stilted. Everyone's so nervous. Everyone's so tight. Like it comes down to like a handful of shots being made. Like, I mean, I don't know what the trend is, but I'm pretty sure game sevens are just like insanely good for the under. Right. Oh yeah. And they're all, but they're, but they're also, but they're also lined that way appropriately. Like the, the books will always like drop it a few and the market will probably adjust it down too. So like, if you like, if this goes seven and you want the under, you're probably going to want to get it early. Like that would be my assumption of like how they should probably play this is like oh yeah without a doubt I I, th- I think I mean you're pretty much as soon as game seven opens you have to bet that under <laughs> like you could blindly take unders in game sevens and you'll be profitable yeah here so here here it is I got it since uh, I start I consider the modern start of basketball to be 2014 15 that's the first Warriors year the unders in game seven are 28 and 12 for a 70 percent hit rate. That's per killersports.com. So we're on the same page here, I think. If, if we get, if it gets to game seven, the books are probably going to mark it low, but you should still probably hit the under as early as possible if you want to win game seven. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, I, and I we, think we had multiple, we had multiple game sevens last year. I think we had, well, we had Nuggets versus um, Clippers. We had Nuggets yeah. versus Jazz. We had Celtics versus Raptors. All of them went under. Yeah. Even in the bubble with all the great shooting that happened. So, yeah, make sure that you're ready to fire if this goes to seven. I kind of lean towards the under. I'll say this. If you like the Nuggets in game in game six, then you should bet the over. If you like the Blazers, you should bet the under. Like, I would I would honestly think that I, I don't see a lot of scenarios. It's possible just because of variance, right? Like, you can just have, end garbage time or whatever. But I have a, the most likely scenarios, if we're doing probability variance, I think are – a game six win means that Portland played great, put up a big number, but the Nuggets also got blown out and only scored less than a hundred, like in game four. And if the Nuggets win, they win like 127, 120. Like that's probably yeah. the outcome. Okay. Um, we're going to skip ahead a little bit here. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. And tonight at, there are a number of games looking for the gentleman's sweep, Raheem. Do you know what the gentleman's sweep is? Yeah. <laughs> Four one. <laughs> Do you know that I invented that phrase? Really? Uh, me and my, I, I have to give my friend uh, Graydon Gordian. Or he used to write a Spurs blog credit. We were on the phone. This was like 2011. We were on the phone, and I was like, I think that this is probably going to happen. We were talking about a series, and I was like, I think this is probably going to happen. It's not going to be a sweep, but it's going to mm-hmm. be like you know a nice sweep where you give them one. And and my friend Graydon said like a gentleman's sweep, and that was and we started using it, and now it's like been coined. It's honestly Raheem, I don't brag. I try not to brag a lot. I try really hard not to victory lap. That's maybe my <laughs> biggest contribution to basketball culture is that I coined. Oh, you sweep. better than me. I, you know I'd be bragging. I, I would <laughs> brag about that for eternity. <laughs> so uh, as we record this, the Sixers are going for the gentleman's sweep versus the uh, Wizards. Westbrook's questionable tonight. Embiid is, I think, out. I think he's been listed out for this game. Um, or it probably questionable, right? He's questionable. Hawks are going for the gentleman sweep versus the Knicks. The Jazz are going for the gentleman sweep versus the uh, Grizzlies. Dallas Clippers is going to go to at least six. So we agree that the Hawks have just shown that they're better. Yes. We thought this was going to be a long series when we did our, our preview, but mm. it was pretty apparent to me by like game two. I really needed the Knicks to win game four. Like I was hoping that the Hawks would just screw up mm-hmm. and let, and even the series, because I wanted to get a better price on the Hawks and I should have just taken the, like I learned something. Mm-hmm. Once you get to that point of series where you're like, Oh no, they're better. 
yeah. just if you're gonna bet the series, pay the juice. Just just do it. Just do it yeah. and bet the series. And like, then if they if they lose, you can just add more. Yeah. Like that's the yeah. one thing I've learned. It's just like it you could you could take another position. Like there's nothing stopping you there. Yeah, that's a great point. So I wish that I'd just taken Hawks after game two, because after game two, I was like, oh, they're just better. Like they, because, mm-hmm. you know, game one, even though the Knicks won that game, I was like, man, so much had to go right. Like so much had to go right. But, you know, I was a little bit nervous about like, okay, how are they going to react? Atlanta's home court has not been awesome through the years, those kind of things. We, we can feel pretty confident. Like the Hawks have honestly outclassed this Knicks team. I've been really impressed with Atlanta. Um, Philly's going to get by the Wizards, whether it's tonight or if the Wizards manage to extend this in game six. Mm-hmm. The knee soreness for Embiid is obviously a concern. It's always like this is the thing with the Sixers, no matter how. And you tweeted this morning about the on off numbers for Embiid, which are just like just fucking absurd. Like, yeah, they're just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but you can't, this is the th- like, it's always something. Like it's it is it's it's always something. Every single it's it's every playoff regular season game, the playoffs, like they win that Raptors series if MB doesn't get sick from eating too many cheeseburgers or whatever it was. <laughs> right. It's just I mean, the best avail like the best skills availability and re- reliability, he just hasn't been it in the regular season and in the postseason. So it's definitely a concern. Okay. So let's let's go ahead and assume that the Hawks and, and Sixers advance. We know that the Hawks are going to be big dogs. I got to tell you, I think I'm probably going to be looking to bet the Hawks on the series spread. I don't want them to take them to win. I'm not that bold, right? And it's looking mm-hmm. like my Maverick. Like after game two of the Maverick series, I was like, God, why didn't I just pick the Mavericks to win? I'm such a coward. And now I'm like, aha, I was so smart to take plus two and a half and plus one and a half. <laughs> um, I don't want to take the Hawks to win that series. I do kind of feel like the Hawks might be able to hang in this series. I don't hate this m- matchup as much as I thought I might. What are your thoughts about the series is if we take it like an, a, an early advanced look at it before both series wrap and we get a series price. As a, as a Sixers fan, the one thing I've noticed is that they've always struggled to defend smaller guards. I mean, hmm. you look at anybody from Trey young to Kimball Walker to Kyrie Irving to Damian Lillard, that's always been their kryptonite. I mean, these two teams played three times this year and neither one were healthy for any game. So you have to throw out this this season. And when you look at Trey Young's career, he's averaged twenty one. He's averaged twenty seven points, nine assists, and four and a half rebounds in nine games against the Sixers. And he's has a five and four record, and he's had inferior teams in every single one of those games. So if Trey Young is going to continue to be this guy from this Knicks series, he can't be stopped in the pick and roll. And they have shooters and Bogdanovich, and they have um, Herder and. Lou Williams and Gallinari, I think the Nuggets, I think the the, the Hawks are, are like really live to actually make it a series, um, especially if Embiid is not 100%. Um, and then obviously with Embiid, you have to worry about him in drop coverage. What happens if, you know, they put him in a pick and roll? What's he going to do with Trey Young? So I think the, I think the Hawks can get one or two games in the series. I, I really do. I, 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 I think they're live. It's going to be interesting to see what the Sixers do with lineups, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't think, like, there's kind of an assumption that they'll start Tybal. I don't think they will. Like, I don't think that Doc, Doc doesn't do stuff like that. I mean, 
the whole thing last year was that he didn't deviate from from Trez. That was the whole thing was that he wouldn't get away from the game plan and like what had brought like Doc is definitely a dance with who brung you guy. Like that is how he yeah. coaches. And like the title's a part of the rotation and I think he'll play. I don't see him starting. And so if you've now I like Danny Green guarding Trey, that's not bad. But yeah, as I always say, like these, these, this idea of like, oh, who's going to guard the point guard? It doesn't matter, guys. It's about how your coverage is and pick and roll, which requires more than one person. You can either switch or you're going to have to do two guys. I went back and watched yesterday every clip of mm-hmm. Trey versus the Sixers this year. Here's like an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And B, the Sixers play, for those of you that don't know, the Sixers play what's called an ice pick and roll system the whole design is they want to push you away from the middle of the floor which is really smart with trey young but you can only do so much and he can actually just come around and basically attack the middle from an angle coming in from basically the corner of the free throw line right like near the nail and mm-hmm. would step up higher and usually drops and he usually drops pretty dramatically like mb basically wants to sit back and be like hey if you take that mid-range jumper that's fine if you want to challenge me at the rim i'm going to block the snot out of you he comes up a little higher on Trey and that's obvious because of the floater. Now Trey, the problem is that Trey can legitimately hit like a 16 foot floater. Like that's how good his floater is. But the other yeah. thing is like, imagine on a court, you got a middle pick and roll, high pick and roll. Trey gets to the free throw line and bead steps up that back area behind him is now wide open. And if you run pick and roll, with somebody who is not Clint Capella, right? If you put, if like you, if, if they're running pick and roll with somebody else, but Embiid is guarding that, that bigger guy on the screen, like say it's Collins, let's say that Embiid's guarding mm-hmm. Collins. Cause they know they're going to run that Collins pops Embiid steps up. Now you have no rim protection on the back line versus Capella Capella in the regular season. And you're right that the injuries were a big part of this. Like nobody was healthy in that regular season, but this does stand out to me. In 68 minutes of play versus the Sixers this season, Clint Capella was a plus 7.1 in net rating with a 104.2 offensive rating and a 97.1 defensive rating. Like they struggled to to score against Capella in a kind of the same thing because the Hawks can do a lot of the same stuff. They're not worried about dropping. And then you've got DeAndre Hunter and John Collins to guard Tobias Harris, which the wizards just do not have anybody to yeah. guard to buy it. Like that's a total mismatch. Mm-hmm. I like Collins and Hunter both mm-hmm. in that situation. I like them both in that spot to guard Tobias, at least to be able to slow him down. Yeah. Um, so this is all to say, like, again, I don't think that this, the Hawks are going to win this series. And I think that there will be games where Embiid plays and drops 45 and just destroys them. Because Capella is going to be undersized. And I'll say this, I've killed Embiid for three years about his double team play. He's, he was great in this Wizards series versus the double team. Uh, if Embiid's healthy, then I think that they're going to win this series. But I do think that you're probably still going to get a pretty good price on him. What I really need is I need for, honestly, here's, here's like the ideal situation, is the Wizards win tonight's game, which is unlikely. The Wizards win tonight's game. The Sixers destroy them in game six back in uh, back in, in uh, Washington. Just annihilate them. And then they're super heavy favorites versus the Hawks. So I can get 
Hawks plus two and a half at something closer mm-hmm. to like minus one fifty. Because you actually you need the Hawks to lose tonight as well. Maybe, maybe, but I think that there's kind of a perception of like, man, the Knicks just aren't that good. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that I think the words out that like, I mean, look, we talked about this here. I will say this: I'm here's another reason I'm disappointed that we went like, oh, I think the series is going to go long. We over, I overthought it mm-hmm. because all year long I was like, I, we, you and I talked about this. We're like. Can't wait to bet against yeah. Tibbs in the playoffs. Can't wait to bet against Tibbs in the playoffs. And then he faced this underrated, inexperienced Hawks team that really wasn't healthy until the end of the year because of Bogdanovich. And Bogdanovich has just been like, he has been so much better than I expected. I thought he would yeah. be like, oh, yeah, pretty good. I thought mm-hmm. he would be like very Gallo 2013 ish, where Gallo was pretty good in the playoffs before his ACL injury. Now, by the way, he's toast. But like, Bogey's been just lights out yeah watching him i i feel like the nba stole a championship from the bucks right right (laughs) he's like he's just been that good um yeah so i i think the one thing about that Knicks series is that i felt like deandre hunter would be an impact player i didn't know julius randall would have his his power stolen by the monsters like he's basically he hasn't shown up like he's had like one of the worst field goal percentages again over 60 years <laughs> from somebody who's taken as much shots as him. So I just didn't see him playing that poorly. But I, I do think if the Knicks can actually win tonight and then push them a little bit in game six, you could see their power rating, you know, fall a little bit. All right. You can track all of Raheem's uh, picks in the Action Network app. He continues to absolutely kill it. Great mm-hmm. stuff from him as always. Follow him on Twitter as well what i need can you just in a what how do i like say your twitter name okay so my d actually i'm gonna change this soon um because i think it's confusing a lot of people but my dj name was djr to the is a jay-z had a song called h to the Izzo, v to the is yes i'm aware of a i am aware of hoba thank you i am that not came that out- lame no, but it's for anybody else who wasn't paying attention. Also, um, that song, I also just realized that, like, I can't be offended because that song's actually so old because it came out when I was in college. That, it like, came out when I was in high school. I was in yeah. high school, and I was, like, challenging. Like, you guys see me victory lap a lot, but I'm very competitive. Like, I have a Kobe, MJ, like, competitive nature. So I'm challenging somebody to, like, basketball. And I'm like, hey, you don't want it with R to the Izzy. And all the girls started laughing. So when I started mm-hmm. DJing, my my nickname became DJ R to the Izzy, and people call me R to the for sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, all right. You can follow him on Twitter. Follow me, and you'll you'll pick up enough of his tweets. Uh, you can check me out at HB Basketball. Thanks for joining me, Raheem, and then we'll talk to you on Friday for Bucks Nets the Mega Preview. Thanks, Raheem. No problem. <laughs> this is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new signup offer for our listeners a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. 
Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right. Joining me now is Justin Fan. Justin, I always forget your title. What's your full title over at Fancy Labs? Uh, I guess the Director of Betting Analytics, which is a total, totally made up title. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just kind of do the news, do the projections, and then whatever else they ask me to do over there. Director is such a great title, though. Like titles are generally dumb and, and yeah. nobody should care about them. But uh, I always wanted the senior MBA writer title. And so when I started action, they were like, oh, you need like a title. What title do you want? And I was like, I want senior <laughs> MBA writer because I've wanted it forever. So it was a, uh, a big win for me to get that. Uh, speaking of big wins, I like that transition. Let's talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Suns absolutely stomped the life out of the Lakers in game five. Just absolutely destroyed them up 30 at halftime. Uh, the predictable funeral has begun. You've got the avalanche of articles of... LeBron facing his legacy faces elimination in game six. And then predictably uh, to end the odds, I should say, have lengthened considerably on the Los Angeles Lakers. You've got news today that just coming out right before this podcast, that Anthony Davis is hinting at a return for game six from that groin injury. He's obviously not going to be a hundred percent. He's not going to be a hundred percent throughout these playoffs. Nobody's a hundred percent. Nobody's ever a hundred percent in the playoffs, but this year it's more like nobody's 80%. Everyone's like 60 to 70% in this year's playoffs. The biggest question I have right off the bat to, to ask you is uh, first off, by the way, just want to mention this at bet MGM, the official odds provider of the action network podcast. Lakers are now 10 to one to win the NBA championship down three, two. If I, if you're someone like me that may have uh, bet early on the Lakers bet consistently throughout the year on the Lakers added his, to his position. Now I have a pretty diverse like portfolio as far as NBA futures go. Like I've, I've diversified my position quite a bit, finding right. the best numbers of various spots, but I'm all, I am definitely most leveraged on the Lakers do I need to start looking for ways to counter this? Do I need to hold fast? Like, what do you think is the approach to take if you're somebody like I, I would imagine a lot of folks are that have Lakers futures at this point? Yeah. So I think the best way to hedge out some of your risks, some of your liability is to probably just bet the Suns money line uh, next game. I, I think this team is most vulnerable right now when 80s hurt, when LeBron's not quite 100 percent, when these guys are not hitting their jump shots. I think if they make it past this series, they're in pretty good shape. I mean, you still like your odds. You're playing the winner of Nuggets Blazers. Uh, that should, if you're going to beat the Phoenix Suns in round one, you should be able to handle business in round two, right? So I think your biggest hurdle is just getting out of the series intact, right? And uh, you bet money line, Suns money line game six. If it rolls over to game seven, Anthony Davis should be, I don't know, 90% um, by then. Uh, and I think they should be favored in that game seven. You could roll it again and, and bet Suns money line again in game seven, but. Yeah, I think if they make it out of this series, I'm still pretty long on this team um, as long as AD and, and LeBron are close to 100%. It's crazy. The, the prices on the series have been just hilarious game by game yeah. compared to both the futures prices and the series price. So, like, the Suns are plus 115 to win game six 
via BetMGM, but they're minus three fifty to win the series. <laughs> so, like, that's a lot. That's a that is a a a pretty big like estimation that well, even if the Lakers were to win Game Six, the Suns would take care of it in Game Seven. I understand the history of home games in Game Sevens. I don't necessarily trust it in this environment with LeBron James with this level of team given everything. And just the fact that like, I just think that like through the years we've just seen, I think home court advantage has obviously shifted and there's been trends on that in general. Look, the, the sun's crowd has been great, but I don't think the sun should be any sort of like massive favorite in game seven. Right. If they're plus plus one fifteen in game six. Yeah. There's a big disconnect there for me. If the Lakers are two point favorites in game six, they should not be that long to win the series. Right. So I think you just hold tight with your, with your Lakers futures, hope for the best with AD and then you can hedge out with some Suns money line. I, I think that's the play. Um, if they make it out of the series, you're, you're facing Nuggets plays. You shouldn't really be afraid of either of those teams. If you're the Lakers and you have AD and LeBron healthy, and then by the time you go to the conference finals against either the jazz or the Clippers, likely those guys should definitely be healthy by then um, in, 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 a, in a couple of weeks from now. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think Jared Delvey nailed it, you know, after the season finale, he said that they're most vulnerable right now. You don't want to face this team a month from now. They're going to only get stronger. They'll only get healthier. They'll only get better. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too, too much if, if, if you're leveraged on, uh, on the Lakers. I still, I still think they're very much live if they win game six. I will say this. I thought it was interesting and I may have already added to my, again, very diverse and over hedged portfolio that uh, the Suns are plus 550 to win the West over a bet MGM. That's compared to Jazz at plus 175, Clippers at plus 290, despite their hijinks in this Maverick series, um, and Lakers plus 450. The Suns are still plus 550. And I get that they, so again, though, like look, look at this, fan. Like we've got, the Suns as in this series minus three fifty, but to win the West are plus five fifty, which is longer than the Lakers, who they're significant favorites over. And right. we know that the Lakers are the toughest team that they're gonna face. Like on some level, that plus five fifty number is to me pretty tasty. I like the way the Suns match up with Utah. Um I the Clippers, I think, are, are a different beast, and we saw that in the regular season. It's a tougher matchup. But I also don't think that you can just take like, – we, we're – well, we've talked about this before, that it's not about the regular season matchups in the win-loss column. It's about how do those games play out? What were the matchups look like? Who didn't look like they could hang? hang who didn't look like they could play? And I feel like while the, the Clippers have been much better in these last two games, the Mavericks series does show, look, they're not – they are not like this well-honed beast of a team. The Clippers are inconsistent. They're vulnerable. They can get shook. All mm -hmm. of these things. I think it's impressive that they're, they're digging out of it. This is the first real adversity we've seen them respond to, but they're also doing it versus the freaking Mavericks in the first round. So that Suns plus 550 number, I, I keep looking at that and being like, that number doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think the Suns are continually being disrespected. I said this on the heat check show. They were plus 800 before uh, game five that they won. So uh, down to that number, I have them at plus 367 on my personal model. So I think that 550 is just a banger. Um, yeah, this team just continues to get disrespected. And they obviously have the, the added equity of not having to face the Clippers or the Jazz next round. They face the Nuggets or the Blazers, and they, you know, and that's a much easier, much more favorable draw for them. So, um, yeah, I mean, this Suns team, man, 
from, <laughs> I think their only hole is backup center. That's, that's just an egregious hole they need to figure out with either Frank Kaminsky or Darius Arch, but otherwise like that starting lineup is just elite defensively um, with Jay Crowder in there now and Cameron Payne, former tank commander, Cameron Payne has been excellent off the bench. I mean, they just, I think they're continually being disrespected, man. I, I, I said it yesterday before game five. I thought they were the best value to win the West on the board at plus 800. I'll say it again. They're the best value to win the West at plus 550 right now. Yeah. And it's the Kaminsky thing I think is interesting in terms of Sarich has been just the, his on off numbers are horrendous in the series. And you can just tell, like, I actually was like, all right, I kind of want to see like how Sarich would do in the small ball units. The answer, answer is nope, that's not viable. The, Lakers are destroying them in those minutes, but I think it's different when you throw in, I, I do think it's different when you throw it in versus the Clippers with Zubac, like the Lakers will happily give the ball to Drummond on lobs or on little, little passes for dunks and, and dunking cuts as well as you've got the 80 like bit dual big combo. You got to have two bigs on the floor, the Clippers, you can bait them in the small ball. Like we're already seeing the Mavericks have successfully right. done it and it's working for the Clippers. Like that's the adjustment that they need to make. But if you can bait them with Saric into playing small ball, I think you're pretty happy with that. Like you'll take Saric on, on Morris all day long. You're fine with that. And so, you know, some of those, those matchup advantages that look so bad in the series for the Suns and like I'll say this, I did not think that the, the matchup was that bad for Phoenix. Like I asked that on Twitter before the series started, the Friday before the playoffs began. I was like, look, the Lakers will probably win because they're the Lakers. But like, I don't see, I, I think I had more faith in Aiton than a lot of people did. I think eight people really thought that Aiton was just going to get like annihilated. And I was right. like, look, I don't like Aiton in space. I don't like Aiton versus Joker, right? Versus a really savvy, crafty guy. But versus like AD shooting turnaround fadeaways and Drummond, Okay, and the Lakers are still winning those minutes, mostly because mm-hmm. like LeBron James is still an incredible basketball player. Um, but Aiton has done enough to have it not be this huge negative, so they've been able to win these games. Um, so yeah, those well, are one, one thing too that mitigates the 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 backup center dilemma. We'll say is that Aiton's really stepped up in terms of the minutes workload he's taken on. He's been playing forty plus some of these games, man. So you're only having to rely, having to put Dario Saric or Frank Kaminsky out there for like eight minutes right. at a time. We, we didn't see that type of minute ceiling from Aiton in the regular season, man. Like for him to be able to take on 38, 41 minutes consistently night in, night out against a tough matchup, um, tough Lakers interior defense, I think is super impressive. And um, obviously, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll say it again. I think this team continues to be disrespected. Let's go real quickly on the Friday's episode of the show, Ryan Palmer Brandon Anderson and I are going to go probably most of the episode on Bucks Nets. I will go ahead and, and put this towards you, Justin. One reason I'm not betting title futures anymore on Western Conference teams, I'm only betting conference odds on, on Western teams or series prices, is because I think whoever wins Bucks Nets is going to be the NBA champion. I think this is the NBA Finals. I know that's a pretty narrative take for you, but I want to get your thoughts in terms of the importance on future prices going down the line, especially we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Joel Embiid has a slight tear of the meniscus. He's going to continue to play is day to day. I would, one of the problems I've read is that there's swelling involved that can basically mean he might play game one and then miss game two. The schedule's not really forgiving the rest of the way. Even the finals don't have a lot of rest built in in between. 
but specifically with Bucks Nets, I think this is probably the 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 real crux yeah. of the playoffs going into the series. I think that's a correct take. You just look at the paths of uh, the Bucks and the and and the Nets versus any other Western Conference counterparts. They're dramatically different, uh, especially with this Joel Embiid injury factored in. Um, I, I have the Sixers. I had them, I think, at like 12, 13% to win the title. They're down to 5.6% now in my model. It's just a huge blow. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I think they might start Ben Simmons at the five today, maybe start George Hill. Um, I don't think that the solution is playing Mike Scott or, or Dwight Howard there, starting starting either of those two. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But the point stands. I think Bucks Nets, huge stakes at, you know, um, basically – what we're seeing right now with the series prices, I just want to you know touch on that a little bit. Uh, Nets minus two hundred at a lot of places. I have it personally at around minus one fifty five, minus one sixty. So I think mm. the Nets are a touch overpriced. Want to talk about this matchup a little bit? It, it, definitely interesting on both sides. So the Bucks side, the Dante Divincenzo injury obviously is really big. Um, you know, we didn't really see that take effect in that first round because Bryn Forbes was just shooting flamethrowers and outscoring Jimmy Butler in that series. Uh, but assuming his shooting normalizes, uh, that's problematic when you have Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton playing important minutes against this Nets offense, right? I think having P.J. Tucker there um, is, is big for them. I hope they lean on him heavily. I hope he plays, you know, 20 to 30 minutes in, in this one. I think that's the correct adjustment uh, for DiVincenzo's absence. On the net side, what happens with their center position? So DeAndre Jordan didn't play much of a role, if any, in that first round series. Does he start now to match up against Giannis? Um, what sort of rim protection are they going to have in this in this spot uh, you know, so yeah, a lot of questions there. I just, I, I covered a bunch of things. You can parse some of them, uh, of those things I kind of talked about what stands out to you most, uh, in, in this matchup. Yeah. So the center center thing has been one thing I've been thinking about a lot of the evidence pointed to the Nets attempt to switch with Claxton didn't work in the regular season. Giannis ate him alive. Yeah. You could say like added, added help you know, they'll figure out schemes and counter them as the series goes on. I will say this, it does, there is an adjustment period. Even you go back to Toronto and Miami too, like Miami played them well this year because they had the same model from last year. There does tend to be about a game to game and a half adjustment period for you to get used to Giannis's size, speed, athleticism, and aggressiveness going to the rim. You can, you get better at it as you get better at all things over the course of a series. You don't get worse at those adjustments, but look, Blake Griffin doesn't seem like the answer. Jordan, I think the problem is the Bucks showed in that heat series that they are willing to be like, all right, if you want to go that route, we're just going to run Drew Holiday pick and roll with Giannis. We're going to run Drew Holiday pick and roll with Brooke Lopez. We're going to run, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to run Chris Middleton pick and roll. We're going to hit you with all of these different, like they showed as much as the defensive versatility was a big question that we had about going into the series for the Bucks. They showed as much offensive versatility. It's not just Giannis is going to isolate at 30 feet and then try and get ahead of steam going to the rim and then pass and, and pick up a charge. They varied things up. And even without DiVincenzo, they have enough replacement shooters to be able to go with that. And the response will be like, yeah, but you can't play, you know, Bryn Forbes. They can play Bryn Forbes. I think as much as the Nets can play Joe Harris, Joe Harris is better. He's a better defender. He's a better shooter even than Forbes. 
he, he's a better player, but it's not like you can't hide Forbes. You can hide Forbes to the degree that you can hide it's Joe tricky, Harris. Man, I think hiding for, I mean, Joe Harris is such an, uh, an elite shooter and yep. much more than that. I, I think hiding is a strong word that downplays how much Harris can, can kill a guy like Forbes in this series. I agree. But the other thing is, I think they're going to switch everything. I think the bucks are going to switch everything. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think probably by game three, you're probably going to see less Brooke Lopez and more PJ Tucker. Now I thought that in game in this, in the first series, but so much of Brooke Lopez's ability to stay on the floor was dictated by Bam out of bios brain going into another dimension. Like just, if you're not going to look at the rim, then you're going to let Lopez pull that, that deep drop on you all day. Wait, I mean, you, it was, you didn't, have, you didn't have Dwayne Dedman out playing Bam out bio in the first round. Not on my bingo prop card. Um, so I think that by you know game three, we're probably going to see a lot more of Tucker, whether he starts or not, or or whatever. Like that's the see. Here's that. That's why the chess match is so interesting in this. If you start DeAndre Jordan, the Bucks are thrilled because they're like, we can play Brook. Then we right. want to play Brook. Like exactly. we'll take Brook Lopez versus DeAndre Jordan all day. Like, thank you, thank you so much for giving us rim protection. I wonder if they're going to wind up like, I think Tucker's going to play a big role in the series because I think they're just going to switch everything. One of the event, one of the advantages of switch, you can slip it, right? You can slip it, but Jordan's not as mobile as he used to be. So slipping isn't as dangerous. There's more time for them to make the rotation over. And that's the real counter to switch is just slipping everything. Otherwise it's ISO ball, which the nets are comfortable with, but so are the bucks. The bucks are like, look, we're going to defend you straight up. And if you, if you put up, 80 points on 40 shots. Good, you know, congratulations. Good job. I, I think the switch also allows for them to tell Forbes, don't ball watch, like just stay attached. And no, that's don't do, don't do what you've been used to doing yeah. for most of your yeah. career. And that, and that's hard to do. Right. It's really but hard. it's also like, maybe it's not Forbes. Maybe it's Connaughton. Like maybe that's, maybe that's like the move. Um, and then also, here's what's actually interesting. I think about that first round series with Miami. Portis played well enough. Portis yeah. surprisingly played so well. And again, Miami just really imploded. But if Portis can play well enough to play some rotations with Claxton, that gets you, that buys you some minutes, right? Sure. Like if you're just like, oh, we're going to give you a different look. And then if you're going to switch everything, then we're going to get Portis on a smaller defender. And Portis is just going to hit little, little pull up jumpers over Kyrie all day long. Like yeah. the Nets the best way I can kind of think to describe this is while the nets have, have a more complicated offense than what people give them credit for. This really is like, ironically, like last year, the bucks offense last two seasons, the bucks offense was just like a blunt force instrument. All right. We're going to, we're going to hit you with Giannis, Giannis, we're going to size athleticism, figure out an answer for it. And then if you, if you bring help, which you have to, because he's so big, we're going to pass for three. The bucks are actually a little bit more nuanced and developed. And the nets are very much just like, Nah, man, we've got KD, Kyrie, and James Harden. So we're just going to go to work and you can't do anything against us. I think the real question for me is like, who does Drew guard? That that to me is like, who's the initial? Because they're going to want to ISO a fair amount. And if you, whoever they, you put Drew on, I will say like, those guys will probably disengage a little bit. They have enough respect for Drew that Harden will, will try and, and test him, but they will know like, this is not a high EV situation for us. And they'll go to whoever the other yeah, guy is. So I kind of feel they like the other, they, they know they have, they know they so, have two other guys to take on the right. offensive burden. So they're not going to be enthusiastic about jumping on that match for sure. Right. So like, I feel like the best tactic honestly is to put drew on Harden 
switch everything versus KD. Mm-hmm. And then just be like, Kyrie's going to average 40 points in this series, but we're trying to get KD at 25 and Harden at 20 and then trying to limit Joe Harris and Landry Shamit and Bruce Brown, all those other guys. We're trying to limit all those dudes uh, production. And like, that's a, that to me, when I think about that in my head, I'm like, that's a sustainable model. Like, I yeah. think that that, that can work. Um, one, one more yeah. sneak storyline in this is the health of Jeff Green. I cannot emphasize how important he is to this team yeah. just with the uncertainty at the center position. He doesn't look like he's making enough progress to at least be healthy. I would be very surprised if he's healthy for, for game one. We'll see game two, game three, but him getting back, he was in their closing lineup. They closed with him instead of Blake Griffin um, when he was healthy, right? So uh, he's just a huge piece, a veteran piece uh, that's been in these big moments that I think extremely helpful for, for, for this Nets team. If they able to get him back for, I don't know, by game three, that would be big for them. You want to shop around. You can do that using the action network app or go to actionnetwork.com slash NBA slash futures. You'll be able to find series price and compare them and get a sense for where you can get the best, best, best value. And like, this matters a lot because there are certain books that are going to come in a lot shorter. They're going to be closer to Justin's model. Right. Like we, we know the, like there are a lot of those books you mentioned that FanDuel and and DraftKings. There's also like when BetMGM comes out, I'm betting if you want to bet the nets, then I think BetMGM is going to be a good book for you. They're likely, I think to come in shorter on the nets maybe than some of the other ones. Um, Points bet on the other hand has bucks. If you're looking for bucks, bucks are plus 185 at points bet. Like they'll Mm -hmm. take your bucks. They'll, they'll take that bucks money over there at points bet. So you have like these different opportunities to um, find the best price. You're going to want to do that. Um, even though obviously you get great prices at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network. So let's let's close this out, okay? How are we approaching betting the series in general, right? For me, I think I'm looking obviously for value. Um, that's obviously dictates everything. And I think in terms of value, the Nets are generally going to be overpriced for me in this series. Um, I think the best approach is probably over on the games, uh, five and a half, uh, you know, six and a half. I think this one goes deep. I actually would, my initially is nets and seven. Um, but I, so generally I'm looking for opportunities to take advantage of that value in the box here. Yeah. So I'm going to be, I think looking for series spread, like that's probably where I'm going to be targeting. So, um, this is sometimes where you can't get the best value. You have to like really kind of shop around for it. Like bucks plus one and a half is minus minus one thirty four. That's a pretty good price that allows me to cover for the possibility of them winning and covers for them losing in seven games. I obviously would rather like, I'm hoping that I'll say this, the early, the early feel that I'm getting is that the sharps are going to like the bucks. Yes. Media is going to like the bucks the public's going to like the nets. Like that's sure. kind of my feeling. I'm worried that that's going to counteract. So we're not going to see as much movement. Like I would rather the public just come in and absolutely hammer the nets to the point where some of those other numbers get affected. Like I want to see, uh, I want to see bucks plus two and a half at like a reasonable number. If I can get bucks plus two and a half at like a reasonable number, but I, I don't have a lot of confidence. I'm going to, um, you've got, one thing that I, I, I do think is interesting is going to be looking at this from a game by game perspective. Like I think that bro, that the nets get, I don't think the nets go two Oh, I can't see that. Like, I really do think we're going to probably wind up splitting these first four games. 
And that I think is, you don't want to bet that too much in advance, right? Because you don't want to be in case we're wrong. And the Nets are just like, <laughs> nope, we have Katie and Kyrie and Harden. Right. Um, I will ask this though, the the Nets title odds will obviously shorten if they were to go up like 2-0 on the Bucks. If the Bucks were to go up to one on the Nets, I'm not sure that they would they would shorten the Bucks title odds would shorten as much. Is that something that maybe better should look at in terms of like, look, if you get a yeah. sense of the series of the Bucks are are been the better team through four games or whatever it is, or the Nets are, you know, the Bucks have played well, but the Nets are gonna shoot better and, and they're gonna win this series. Not only can you get value on the price, but if we take that premise that we started with, which is this is the it, finals. Finals, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This is probably the spot. This is gonna be like the last spot where you might be able to get one of the one of these teams at a longer number if they're down in the series, but you still think they're gonna win. No, I, I completely agree. Um I think that's the way to look at it. This this this, this series holds so much, so much significance for the title odds um and, and the model just because especially with the Joel Embiid injury, it, it, it really impacts everything. It's, it's, it's going to be a gauntlet out West, man. Like these round two matches, you might, might get jazz clippers and, and round two, those are, you know, two of the, 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 the best, the big favorites in the, in the West right now. So man, uh, we're getting some, we're getting some big time matchups in round two. I, I'm looking forward to it. Well, not only that, but like, look, I think the Nuggets have outplayed the Blazers in this series over the, the duration of it. I think that they've been the better team despite missing three of their top five guards. I think Portland can still win. I'm betting Portland in game. I'm going to bet them on the spread in game five or game six, rather. I think this goes to seven and then it's anybody's game. But like, look, if the Nuggets get to the second round versus Phoenix, they're not scared of them. And if they get the, the conference finals versus the Clippers or Jazz, they're not scared of those teams either, even without Jamal. Like, I don't really understand this, but I'm like looking at this being like, if the Lakers get knocked out, are the Nuggets live to win the Western Conference? Like, I don't think that they will because missing Jamal is is such a big, is still a really big problem. And there are just no defenses as truly horrific as Portland's, which is a a genuine embarrassment. Starting lineup defensive efficiency is a disaster. Um, And I can't just, I can't, I can't do it with this backcourt. I mean, they've been, they've been squeezing all the basketball that they possibly could out of Faku Campazzo, out of Austin Rivers, out of Marcus Howard. Like, I, I can't, man. They're just way too, they're way too shorthanded. I know it, it makes no sense. I get it. Um, I do have one comparison for you though. Uh, 2009, the Orlando Magic lost Jameer Nelson halfway through the season and had right. to make their playoff run with Rafer Alston. Rafer Alston, yep. And made the finals. So uh, there's a little bit of historical context for you. All right. Make sure to follow Justin Fan on Twitter and check the at Fantasy Labs NBA account for the up to the second news on everything injury related. So you can get your bets in in relation to all the lineup changes and everything else uh, going forward. Justin, we'll check in with you later uh, as the playoffs progress on the Action Network NBA podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks. We're finished talking.